So today we are stepping back into our series on Acts, and um, no, honestly, I think this might seem like a bit of whiplash as we pivot fairly sharply from the manger in the stable to martyrdom in the early church. Um, but while some people might read Acts 6 and 7 and see a tragedy, there is something deeper to this story. Um, while it's not going to leave you feeling the warm fuzzies of a candle light nativity scene, it is going to inspire, humble, and embolden you if you will let it. So Acts 6 introduces us to a man named Stephen, and he only gets two pages in scripture, but the impact he makes is powerful. Now to refresh our memories on what's happened last, because it was a while ago when we did our last sermon on Acts, in Acts 5, we have the Jewish leaders wanting to silence the apostles from speaking the good news of Jesus. But the apostles, they just can't keep quiet. The God of Abraham, their ancestor, has raised Jesus up from the dead, and though he was murdered as a criminal, God raised him up to his own right hand so that he can be ruler and rescuer and offer repentance to the nation of Israel and forgiveness of sins. The apostles and God's Holy Spirit dwelling inside them are witnesses to all of this, and so they just can't keep quiet. They can't be silent. They must proclaim what they have seen and heard. So the Sanhedrin, which is the full council of Jewish leaders, they're so mad at the apostles' response that they want to kill them. But there's this Pharisee named Gamaliel who stands up, who's very highly respected among the people, and he says that if the work of the followers of Jesus is of human origin, it's going to fail. But if it's from God, the council will not be able to destroy the work of the apostles and might actually find that they are fighting against God. And so Gamaliel's words, they calmed the Sanhedrin and they released the apostles. But now we're going to turn the page to Acts chapter 6 and look to a man who, like Gamaliel, also had a great reputation and also gets to speak before the Sanhedrin. But he, unlike Gamaliel, is not able to calm the council's wrath. And as we examine the life of Stephen today, the question that we're going to look to answer is, what does Stephen teach us about the way of Jesus. Now, right off the gate in Acts 6, we are introduced to a problem. Um, the church has grown to such numbers that the apostles who preach the good news of God are finding that they are overwhelmed and have been neglecting the Greek-speaking Jewish widows in their food distribution. But the apostles believe that their primary ministry as the 12 apostles is to preach the word of God. And so rather than doing a mediocre job of both preaching and caring for the marginalized in their community, the 12 apostles decide to delegate the task. And so they have the whole company of disciples select seven men to take on the ministry of serving the food. But these can't just be any seven men. Um, it's not the simple matter of the classic Christian call for volunteers. Hey, do you have two hands? Well, you're ready to stack chairs. You know, it's, no, these men actually, they have to have a good reputation not, uh, and, and also they have to be full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. And so they choose seven men, and Stephen is one of them. Um, and he is uh, immediately described not just as a man full of the Holy Spirit, but full of faith. There is just something about him that shows that he is deeply loyal to the plan of God. So the seven start caring for the marginalized widows, and the apostles are able to continue their ministry of preaching and prayer, 
and God continues to bless the church, and we read that in Acts 6, 7, it says, So the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. So what does Stephen teach us about the way of Jesus? Well, in the next chapter, which we'll be looking at shortly here, we find out that Stephen, he knows the Hebrew scriptures incredibly well, and he's also an amazing preacher, and yet he doesn't pursue that ministry. He instead humbly submits to the task of serving the foreign widows. He embodies the message that we find in the book of James that says, true religion before God is looking after orphans and widows in their distress. So what does Stephen teach us about the way of Jesus? Service. It is serving the marginalized and not taking the spotlight. Stephen humbly submits to the task of lifting up the neglected in his community, and the next thing that happens is the church grows. And so as we go on through this chapter, we're going to see that through Stephen, though Stephen doesn't pursue the preaching ministry of the apostles, God puts him in conversations that allow him to speak truth, and demonstrate the Holy Spirit. Stephen is not just full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Luke writes that he is full of grace and power. When he's around, miracles happen. But here is where Stephen's troubles begin because some members of a synagogue, which I assume that he attends, that's composed of foreigners from regions in North Africa and then north up in Asia Minor, they start arguing with Stephen. But when Stephen talks with them, he shows great wisdom and they aren't able to break his confidence in the good news of Jesus. And so some of those, the members of that synagogue, they start to stir up the people by arranging to have false witnesses come forward who claim that Stephen has spoken against the Jewish law and temple. And they bring Stephen to the Sanhedrin, um, that full council of Jewish leaders that Gamaliel was a part of. And in verse 13, Luke writes, they also presented false witnesses who said, this man never stopped speaking against this holy place, and the law. For we heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So we're going to come back to that odd last line about the face of an angel. Um, but with all the accusations brought forward, the high priest then addresses Stephen and says, are these things true? But rather than standing up for himself and saying, no, absolutely not, let me explain why I'm innocent, rather than standing up for himself, Stephen proceeds to give a sermon where he exposes the hypocrisy of the rulers of Israel and defends the honor of God and his son Jesus Christ. And this is actually the longest speech that you're going to find in the book of Acts. Um, and it's epic. Um, Stephen takes the Sanhedrin on a journey um, starting from the book of Genesis, going all the way to the prophets, and he's name-dropping like crazy. All the major players in the biblical story, right? Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, King David, King Solomon. But he doesn't bring up all these men to say, look how amazing we Israelites are. No, in each of the characters in this story, um, they're brought up not because of the great things that they did, but because God chose them to demonstrate his faithfulness to his people. And in fact, when Stephen talks about the people of Israel as a nation, he says that in spite of receiving the law of God, our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. The people of Israel reject God's law, 
and choose to worship a heavenly host of divine beings instead. And yet, in spite of this rejection, which leads ultimately to the exile of the Jewish people, God is faithful. A prophet like Moses is promised to be raised up, a righteous one, loyal to God, who is prophesied by the prophets is to come. And God fulfilled this promise by sending Jesus. And Stephen, he ends his sermon by stating, Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet have not kept it. So the very law that they're claiming that Stephen is undermining is the law that they have broken by betraying and murdering the promised righteous one. Israel has remained unfaithful, and yet Yahweh, in sending his son, has remained faithful to his covenant, to his commitment to the descendants of Abraham to use them as a blessing. And so while Stephen could have taken this opportunity to defend his honor before the Sanhedrin, he instead retells the story of Israel to show both the faithlessness of Israel and the faithfulness of God in his son. He defends God and not himself. Now, remember that odd line about Stephen having the face of an angel at the end of chapter 6? I think it relates. Um, if you read Stephen's sermon closely, you will see that he mentions angels not once, but three times um, throughout his sermon. Here we see that Stephen is highlighting that it was the law that was given to Moses under the direction of angels, and it was also through an angel in the burning bush that God initially commissions Moses as ruler and judge of the people. It is through angels that both the message of the law and the message of salvation was given. The message of the law was how Israel had demonstrated their faithfulness to God, and the message of salvation was how God had already demonstrated faithfulness to the Israelites by redeeming them from Egypt. Now Stephen is standing before the council, delivering a message that reveals the hypocrisy of the Jewish people, but reveals the faithfulness of God and the salvation he offers through Jesus. And before he even says a word of his sermon, the council sees that he has the appearance of a messenger of God. So what does Stephen teach us about the way of Jesus? Humility. It's being God's messenger and not our own. Stephen does not defend himself, but he simply obediently speaks the words of the Spirit within him and declares and elevates the greatness of God. He tells the story of redemption in spite of our failure. But does the council listen to his message? Do they cut out that blockage that's over their ears and hearts? And Luke writes, When they heard these things, they were enraged and gnashed their teeth at him. So when they look at Stephen, they see his boldness, they hear his message, and yet they do not see that invitation to reconciliation. They instead see a man causing trouble, right? They see a threat, a candle that's meant to be snuffed out. But what does Stephen see? Beyond the chaos and anger of the jeering crowd, Stephen decides to look up to heaven. And in verse 55, Luke recounts, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Stephen sees that above the chaotic crashing waves of the council, like the psalmist in Psalm 29, there is a peace to be found. There is a king who is reigning over the flood. Just like at Jesus' baptism, the heavens had opened up to reveal a truer reality 
than what is seen on earth. Stephen sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father in the place of power and authority, ruling and reigning. And Stephen pleads with the council to look up, to see this apocalyptic revelation that speaks to the true reality of the cosmos. If only someone in the council would follow Stephen's gaze and find the grace and truth that comes through Jesus. But no one does. Instead, we read, they yelled at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. In spite of Gamaliel's warning in chapter 5, the rulers give in to their anger and they haul Stephen out of the city to be stoned. And while they're stoning him, before Stephen falls to life's final sleep, he offers up two prayers. First, he calls out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen gives his very life into the hands of his king, trusting that Jesus will preserve him until the day of the Lord when all who are asleep will wake up to new life in the kingdom of God. Stephen, like the psalmists in the Old Testament, is finding refuge in the Lord. And the second prayer that Stephen gives is, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And here, Stephen kneels. Um, whether from the weight of the stones or from the weight of the prayer, I'm not sure, but he is in a posture of full submission to his king. And his last words spoken with the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him are ones which seek mercy for his accusers, mercy for the very ones who are destroying the temple of his body, made not by human hands, but by God, for his spirit to dwell. A temple that is being dismantled by the crowd, one stone at a time. And Stephen fully submits his life and judgment of the crowd into Jesus' hands. So what does Stephen teach us about the way of Jesus? It's trust. It is seeking refuge and mercy from our king. And after saying this, he fell asleep. The gospel accounts reveal that Jesus was a king filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who performed signs and wonders, who was falsely accused for words against the temple and the law, who was sentenced to death, though he was innocent, whose last words were to give up his spirit and offer forgiveness to his accusers. Stephen followed the way of Jesus, both in his life and in his death. He followed the way of the king. And the story of Stephen speaks of service, humility, and trust. And so as we go into this new year, may we be a people who also travel the way of Jesus. May we be a people who serve the marginalized, our humble messengers of the truth, and entrust our life into the hands of our king. And in the coming months of 2023, when our lives are filled with anxiety, sorrow, fear, frustration, and unease, may we remember what Stephen saw. May we follow his gaze up to the heavens and see that Jesus is standing at the right hand of the Father, reigning over the chaos of our lives. And may that fill us with hope and peace mercy. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much that you are in control, um, that though it might seem like the church is being dismantled um, in Acts chapter 7, God, you had a plan, and this plan was to save and redeem your people, and ultimately to let them be a light to the nations. 
And so, God, we thank you that you are a God of justice and that you are a God who makes things right. And so we pray that you would continue to use us in the ministry of reconciliation. We pray that we would be people like Stephen who serve the marginalized. We pray that we would be people who are bold in what we say. And God, we just pray that we would be able to trust you with our spirit and with our lives and, yeah, just with our future. In your name.